Welcome into the Off the Post podcast. I'm Nick Delayo with my co-host Lucas Tashi. Today we are going to be talking about all the transfers that have not happened this window and how disappointed we are. We're going to be getting into the stuff going around the uh, fourth leagues in uh, in Europe. The Bundesliga is off for another couple of weeks, so we won't be covering them. And then we'll be getting into some news with the United States men's national soccer team and Greg Berhalter. So we hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, Lucas. So some news there that's happening uh, in the world of football. Not a lot of transfer news, but where do you want to get started on first? Let's start with the transfer news or lack of, like you said, uh, because, dude, the January transfer window typically is something that's lighter, but in recent history, it's really built up to be like a strong transfer for a lot of clubs. You've seen Virgil van Dijk go to Liverpool in the January transfer window. Bruno Fernandes went to Manchester United in the January transfer window. Odegaard went to Arsenal on loan initially in the January transfer window. But this transfer window, yes, we're only six days, days in. But, bro, it's been horrible. Right. No pickup, no no real news other than the uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, uh, you know, rumors and stuff. And then Chelsea obviously doing a lot of signings. But there's a lot of teams. Uh, Cody Gakpo we talked about already. You know what I mean? And, yeah, that's a good signing. But there's so many other players that I feel like can be had. And uh, there's been absolutely no movement really from – the big six perspective, or even from uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, or the top five or six teams in Serie A as well. And so, you know, the fact is we would see way more rumors going on now than we are seeing. And I'm not sure if uh, players are and teams are just content with staying packed till the summer or, yeah. or what's going on. The other thing that, you know, we usually see a lot of this month is pre-contract agreements with free agents that are going to be moving on in the in the summer. And, you know, Leicester City, is, as an example, has about six players that are going to be out of contract. Uh, Soyonchu and then also Tielemans being, you know, an example of like two of the, the bigger players that are going to be out. And so it's, it's really interesting to see how there is a lack of anything really unfolding. Uh, I, I would I would be surprised if Chelsea just makes a lot of big signings and then re- they're really the big movers in this market, similar to how Newcastle was last season. But even Newcastle, too, they have all this money and uh, they haven't done anything with it. They haven't even been linked with anybody that I know of. Uh, I mean, Newcastle have been fantastic, and we'll get into this when we discuss the Premier League. But in the summer, their, their business has been um, unbelievable. But what I would say is there are a few names that have been swirling in terms of rumors, in terms of the talent that's available. There are a lot of players that are available. The thing is, we just haven't seen any traction. You know what I mean? Like, no player, no teams are actually going to go up and bid that insane amount that the club is trying to get them to bid, which is, honestly, it's it's kind of good because... You see with the Mudrik situation, Shakhtar are using the Anthony price tag in terms of saying, oh, Mudrik is better than Anthony, so Mudrik should be worth more than Anthony's $100 million. But right now, Arsenal are offering $50 million. Still a high price tag for what you're getting. Uh, but the thing is, like, maybe the clubs that are buying, the buyers are trying to offset what the market initially has been. And it could be a good thing. Um, but again, 
there are other players out there like Enzo Fernandez, who has a release clause of $120 million. Benfica want that release clause, but Chelsea won't be willing to sell, spend it. Rightfully so. He is not worth $120 million in this in this market, in, in my opinion. Fantastic player. Spend the 80 to $90 million on him. 120 is where it gets over the top. Uh, and then the last player I, I do want to call out, this is more so a loan, but Joao Felix is a player to watch out as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think Felix is going to move for sure this window. Uh, you know, Atletico, they want about 20 million euros for a six-month loan, which is not going to happen, right? It's unrealistic to expect for him to be out on loan for that long because that just solely benefits Atletico Madrid, right? They get a huge loan fee. They get office wages for six months. And then when his value uh, is going to improve, right, because he wherever yeah. he goes, he will be significantly better than he has been at Atletico. Then Atletico is the one that owns their rights and can sell him for uh, a higher price. So I think that they're going to end up coming down on it and he's going to be moving. I do want to talk about Enzo Fernandez because uh, I feel like there's a lot more to that story. They Chelsea met with Benfica and indicated that they were going to pay the release clause for him. And that's what that's what indicated to Benfica that it was okay for Enzo Fernandez to negotiate terms with Chelsea, right? So then they negotiate the terms, and then what happens after they agree to terms? Chelsea, instead of meeting the release clause, bid for about like 85 million euros, right? So Benfica has every right to be upset, I think, in that situation. And of all the teams, like Shakhtar, I don't necessarily – I think they're overvaluing Mudrik. But in this case, yes. for, for Enzo Fernandez, right, they – Benfica really just paid 18 million euros for him four months ago and has a release clause and he signed for a long time too. So mm-hmm. for, for, you know, for Benfica to really make it worth it for them to, to send him on a transfer, I think the release clause is only the fair deal. You know, he's in a more proven league. He just came off a, an amazing world cup campaign. So I think in my eyes, he's, even though it's an overpay, I understand why they want that fee for him specifically. Uh, Modric is another one. I think that he's going to move, whether it's to Chelsea or Arsenal or another club, he's going to end up moving regardless. You know, I think their asking price is too high. I think they'll come down on it, though. And uh, we'll see where he ends up going. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter uh, where he goes. He is a young talent. I do think if he goes to Arsenal, he'll be better off than yeah. going to Chelsea just because of Chelsea's history with developing younger players. Uh, after signing them to, uh, from large fees, you know, like with Havertz and, and Werner. Mm-hmm. But uh, I ultimately agree with every single take you had, Lucas. I think that, you know, there hasn't been a lot of activity. There are a few big-name players that will definitely move this window, but it's not going to be as as if, you know, what we had hoped for before this window had started, where we were hoping to see something similar till last January or even the year before that. Yeah, uh, I mean, one other name that I need to call out, and it's one that's pretty much confirmed, or I would say 90% of the way there, well-deserved move for Jan Sober. He's finally going to be moving to a top, top club. He's been carrying the Swiss national team on his back for a full decade. He's been carrying München Gladbach on his back, and now he's getting that deserved move to Bayern Munich. And couldn't be more proud of him getting that move. Uh, it looks like that's going to be over the line because with Neuer's injury uh, a couple last month, 
the ski injury, they do need a goalkeeper. And up steps Jan Sommer, who's just will step in right in perfectly. Right. And I think Neuer's career is, is basically essentially over because of his broken femur. I mean, it's going to take him a long time to come back from that. And then, honestly, Sommer is is not even that far apart in terms of skill compared to, to Neuer. I really, we, we both love him as a goalkeeper, uh, have said for a long time, both of us, that he deserves a move to a uh, way, way bigger club. And it's really nice to see him get it. I also want to give a shout to our favorite player on the podcast, Mislav Orsic, for confirming that he has moved to Southampton uh, for a £6 million fee with a contract till 2025. I mean, if there's ever been a time where I've wanted to bet someone for any time goal scorer more than now, I'll have to think about it for a long time because this guy is going to be automatic in his debut and automatic against Tottenham. So, Dude, he's so yeah. that was so cheap for him. So cheap, but he, he played in Zagreb, but he had a good World Cup. Uh, yeah. he, he's been a squad player for Croatia for a long time and has played really well in Europe for a long time. So it would be really cool to see how he does. Yeah, no, 100%. Other than that, bro, I don't think there's many players out there like that are really tickling my pickle in terms of the transfer window. Uh, Guardiol, right, is going to sign but probably for a team in the summer. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they announce it and that he goes in the summer similar to, like, Nkuku with, with Chelsea where we know yeah. where he's going to go. Um, but, yeah, man, I agree. I'm kind of disappointed. It's depressing, right? I want to see some – I want to see, like, some crazy moves. Fabrizio Romano has, like, a light uh, January transfer window. Usually he'll be awake from night to day. Yeah, there's no tweets really going on, and that's how I kind of judge everything by his feed. He's yeah. normally retweeting and uh, tweeting stuff and replying really, really often, but he hasn't really been doing that too much, especially at the start. It's only been a week, right? Maybe we'll be talking at the end this window and being like, "Oh my god, this was amazing," but I don't. Uh, right now, I'm I'm very like underwhelmed. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Nick, with that in mind, do you want to go over to each of the leagues or let's just run through all this craziness that's going on in the U.S. Soccer Federation? Yeah, I want to talk about the U.S. Uh, soccer Federation more. So, I mean, I think you're better at setting this up timeline-wise than I am. So why don't you go ahead? I got you. So let's start it back in the World Cup. This is pre-World Cup days, pre-November 18th. This is, I believe, November 11th, where the U.S. men's national team is starting their training. They're starting their pre-World uh, pre Cup uh, scrimmages with other nations. And what happened was Gio wasn't putting 100% effort. Fair enough, the coach scolded him, said he needed to apologize, he needed to do better, and he needed to bring that effort up, right? Gio apologized, he brought the effort up, it seems, and everything was all good. Then the World Cup happens, Greg Berhalter does not play Gio Reyna, constantly, constantly. Even if he's healthy, he blames an injury for Gio Reyna, constantly doesn't start him, doesn't even give him much minutes, up until the Netherlands match where he had to put him in because they were losing 2-0 and they needed goals. Excuse me. 
Um, and then afterwards, after the World Cup, once they lost against Netherlands, Greg Berhalter, with a statement, essentially said, put he put Gio uh, under the bus. He blamed Gio for a lot of what happened. And he said that Gio didn't do what was right. Now, this is where the crazy part comes in. At that same time, an anonymous tip went to the U.S. Soccer Federation, said they have blackmail on Greg Berhalter, and essentially are trying to get him to get fired. With that, uh, it comes out this week on the 4th that the U.S. Soccer Federation are investigating Berhalter, and then Berhalter comes out with his own statement explaining the situation. Back in the 90s, when he was 18, 19 years old, he had been in a domestic violence uh, situation with his current wife. He had uh, been uh, confrontational. He had been abusive in just one aspect where he had uh, hit her one time. Um, they had broken up, and then later on they got back together. Then it comes out the next day that the person who leaked that to the U.S. Soccer Federation was Gio Reyna's parents. So Gio Reyna's parents and the Burhalters, the moms were roommates in college. The dads grew up playing soccer in, the, in northeast New Jersey up until they were in the national team together. So they all knew everything, and it comes out that the Reynas are the reason the, that Greg has has had this come up. And essentially, it's just been high school soccer, high school sports politics 101 right here. This is what's everything, everything wrong in sports. Like, it, it's just collusion. It's political. It's like, bro, there's nothing that can be done that, like, why is this a situation? Why did Gio's parents have to get involved? If if Berhalter's wife forgave him and now they're happily married with kids after 30 years, why is this a situation? Yeah, but I think yeah. I ran through everything. Give me your thoughts. No, I agree with you 100%. I think that, um, you know, when we've talked about it before, it's it's really – you know, me and you are kind of all for forgiving people for mistakes in the past as long as they've learned from it and they've uh, they've kind of grown from it. There's also talk, and I don't know if, if it's just, you know, uh, Claudio Reyna that's, that's leaked this as well, but that he's been abusive to staff members and other uh, players within the national team and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. But uh, if that's true, then it's a totally different opinion, right? But in this case, we only can rely on what happened in the past. And the fact is, it happened such a long time ago. Uh, both him and his wife has have since reconciled. And I don't think that it's fair necessarily to hold uh, hold this against him, considering the fact that it happened over 30 years ago, you know? Yeah. so. So, and it's not as if, uh, it's not as if, you know, they didn't learn from that experience. Now, if it's, if there are reports that, that have come out uh, recently that show that, you know, he's done way worse since then, then obviously my opinion will change. But I think that regardless of this, you know, 
I don't think the Rainers should be anywhere near the U.S. Uh, Federation, and I don't think Burhalter should be the coach as well. Because even based on the fact that what he did when he came out after the World Cup and said what he said was uh, extremely unprofessional to do. You know, to call a player out after stuff had happened and they had kept it in the locker room. I don't think uh, I don't think he should have done that, and obviously. You and I are not big fans of him. So, I mean, regardless yeah, yeah, yeah. of this incident, this incident in a part, I don't think he should be the coach at all, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I don't think you should take this minor incident and hold it against him because of This how- shouldn't be the incident that he gets fired. Right. I agree. <laughs> if anything, he should have gotten fired for releasing that statement after the World Cup because yeah. that was ridiculous. You know, and or if you were like his performance as a manager where his subs, you know, I think anybody that subs on Haji Wright is a it's a fireable offense automatically in my opinion. <laughs> you can't do that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but like it, this is what's wrong with the U.S. Soccer Federation, dude. Everybody involved in it is family or is friends or is friendly. Like everybody, like Burhalter's brother is in the U.S. Soccer Federation as a VP, like. The Reynas have ties with the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, there's Brian McBride, who has played with both Greg Berhalter and Gio uh, and Claudio Reyna. Like, bro, it's just it's just a whole hot mess that one. I don't think it should have been exposed like this, but now they are exposing everything. And if U.S. Soccer does not figure it out, they will. They will have a manager that won't be good. And the players, the young players, will not want to play for the U.S. anymore. Because right now you're seeing a lot of players want to play for the U.S. Serginio Dest had the opportunity to play for Netherlands. He chose the U.S. Anthony Robinson had the opportunity to play for England. Potentially, he probably wouldn't have played for England. But he chose the U.S. A lot of these players have dual citizenships. Gio Reyna could have played for England. He chose the U.S. Like, dude, there are so many players that have chosen the U.S. over other nationalities. And now you're going to see players potentially not choose the U.S. because, like, oh, there's some back backdoor stuff that's happening that I don't know if I can trust the upper management. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I mean... There, there's like a player out there, right? Uh, Florian Balogun, who was born in the United States, who plays for Arsenal. It's on loan t- with, uh, with Stade Rem on uh, in league on, and uh, has scored, you know, ten goals in sixteen games. He's someone that's a prospective player, right? He, yeah. I know he wants to play for England, but just as an example for for the type of players the U.S. need and and kind of like the fit for them. I mean, it's a mess. Lucas and I think it's going to clean get cleaned up, and I think it's going to end with neither of them being a part of the uh, UN's men's national soccer federation. At least that's it how, should, I feel, right? Like, is that yeah. where we're leaning to? I I agree. That's how it should be. But right. the the key word there is should. Uh, we don't know for sure if the USSF is going to do that because remember, Berhalter's brother is is a VP there. Is or is he? High, he's high up there. But I think what they need to do is clean house, right. get rid of everybody. Just keep the president or whatever. If you want to vote for the president, do, clean house. Everybody else, they need net new. 
mainly upper management, head coaches, stuff like that. Like, obviously, I don't want them to fire, like, all the analysts and all that kind of stuff. But, like, you know what I mean. Like, people who have a lot of control, net new, get new a new mindset, mindset in because the players are talented. Right, and they right. need people to support them. Yeah, and I think the Burhalter hiring just in the beginning, knowing that there's nepotism there, I think that was uh, really, really horrible. And I think also... Also, you know, it, it ties into everything that you're saying. There needs to be a situation where the organization is not biased. You know, how many times have we sat here on our soapboxes and said that we do not need a coach from the MLS to be the coach of the men's national team? Because we've seen time and time again how that's worked out, you know, with Gus Bradley or with Bruce Arena. Like, we don't want these types of managers and even Klinsman, like you could say whatever you want, right? At least, and he's a terrible manager, right? In hindsight, he's a terrible manager, was a terrible hire. But if they had gone the correct route and gotten someone like in present day, someone like uh, someone like Tuchel, someone like Fabio Capello, just way yeah. back, right? Like those are the type of managers we should aspire to get. And I think the quality of the team is good enough where we should be demanding those types of coaches. Agreed, hundred percent. Thing is, do these coaches want to be underneath uh, uh, management that you know that potentially there will be nepotism, right. and that you know that potentially they won't do what's best for you? Because remember, there's still that little bit of doubt that these managers are required to include a certain number of MLS players. And I don't know if it's still in that contract or if it if it is, but that's the reason why they keep that the management so tight knit. Um, but again, they need something new. They need something fresh because they have the talent to do so. Finally, but will the management help the, that talent? And I just want to reference before we move on. Uh, I want to reference this article from CBS Sports on December seventh, so maybe a month ago, right? where they're saying coaching candidates that could replace the U.S. men's national team. The only one I'm interested in out of all of these is Jesse March because I don't think any of these other ones are are good at all, right? So uh, you have the coach of El Salvador, Hugo Perez, because he played for the U.S. Uh, national team. And, uh, and you know, they, th- they have him at list as a possible candidate. I don't think he's good enough. Jim Curran, yeah. the coach of Philadelphia Union, no. Oh. Jesse Marsh, we would be okay with that. Yes, 100%. We're big Jesse Marsh stands. Right. Roberto Martinez. No. Me either. Uh, Brian Smetzer, the head coach of Seattle Sounders. No, right? No. Yeah. So, like, I mean, we're not interested in these kinds of coaches. We're not interested in these kinds of coaches. Joaquin Lowe? Yeah. Hell yeah, right? I mean, I would do that for sure. Hell Yeah. Him, he would be great. I mean, I don't know what Tite is going to do from Brazil, but I would take him too, you know? I mean, um, Tite is a little bit older. Like, uh, I, think I, think, I think he's trying to ride into the sunset now. No, you're right. I think he's done coaching. Um, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that's how I feel, Lucas. Those are the types of coaches that we should want. And, uh, and, 100%. And you're never going to get considered unless you throw your hat in the ring. And also, they need to be willing to put good money for these coaches. Right. Yeah. So, so that's the other thing. 
I, I was also wondering, right, what is Burhalter's salary? He's only making about $1.3 million per year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to get a coach of a higher caliber, you would have to think like 4 to $5 million at least yeah. annually, you know, to entice those coaches to come through. No, 100% agreed. Like, it's just, you don't know, man. Like, you really just don't know. I agree. So we get into some better news with uh, the, you know, the four leagues that we're going to be covering today. Let's do it. All right. So, I mean, I'm going to start with League On because I don't think we're really going to talk about much here. But um, the cool thing about League On is uh, you have PSG at 44 points, top of the league. It's a lot closer than people think because RC Lens is in second place with 40 points. And they just beat PSG at... Uh, Oh, you know, at home, essentially, PSG came to them to play. And Lens have won now, I believe, nine straight games at home. So, I mean, if you're talking about value bets, bet Lens money line at home always and see what the magic that happens there. I think that uh, this race is definitely a lot tighter than I thought it would ever be. Uh, I don't know if it'll stay that way, though. And we'll yeah. have to see what happens, right? Yeah, no, I... Uh... It's not going to stay this way. Definitely not. Especially uh, with Messi coming back. Um, he's recovered. He's fresh. He's good to go. He's more confident than ever now. Uh, I think they're just going to steamroll everything. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it would be cool for... Uh, it will be cool to see how he plays when he gets back, for sure. Yeah. All right. Your pick next. Who do you want to talk about? Ah, uh, dude. It's tight in the top top three. Right now, you have Napoli, who's just been on an absolute roll. But then you have Milan, you have Juve, you have Inter, all within uh, eight points, which in in hindsight, like eight points is like not, it is a lot, but that can switch at any given moment because Milan can beat Napoli. Napoli can lose to all three of these teams. And then boom, they're in fourth place because they just lost that nine point gap or eight point gap. Um, I always thought, like, Serie A, like, in the last two years, it's always been the tightest. Out of every single one of the leagues, the Serie A has always been so tight. And with Napoli staying healthy now, they have been on a rampage this year. But uh, you got to look out for Milan with Rafael Leao being in incredible form. With him uh, coming off a strong World Cup. Even though he was coming off the bench, he was still scoring goals, making assists. Like, he is going to lead the team and make it tough. And then you can't rule out Juve. Now they really, like, stepped it up. Early on in the season, it was very slow for them. But they really stepped it up. Uh, but, again, it's going to be really tight for not just that that top spot for the title. That top four battle is also very close, too. You have Lazio and Roma breathing down Inter's neck right now where they're only three points back. If uh, Inter drop points and both Lazio and Roma, they win their games, bro, you never know. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I don't know if I can see Lazio or Roma making it in uh, this season. I think the top four, as is, will stay the same. Uh, Juventus, you know, Somehow they're they're making it through. They've only conceded seven goals so far this season, which is unbelievably mind blowing to me. Uh, but that kind of just shows 
how they've been really defensive and how we've complained about their lack of scoring because at the same time, they've only scored 25, which is, you know, you'd have to go all the way down to to essentially Roma, who have also only scored 19, to see, you know, teams that are really not putting out yeah. goals and uh, kind of outperforming their, their XG, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think Napoli's going to win it. I'm rooting for them. You're rooting for them. We're not going to be. I'm rooting for Milan. You're rooting for Milan? Yeah, bro. Back to back. Come on, bro. Why? First time in like 40 years, you don't want your boys. You picked them. Didn't you pick them to win this season? No, that was last season. Okay. Yeah. No, but Milan. That I. <clears throat> they're going to come back. Um, uh, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. You never know with the city. Uh, Right, you're right. We'll see what happens. I mean, Napoli have the best goal differential. They have the most points. I know they lost to Inter, but they played against Inter, right? Um, it's going to be exciting to see how they bounce back. And, you know, they're going to be playing Sampdoria next uh, on this Sunday. So expect them to put some goals past these guys for sure. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about La Liga now. Uh, that's all you. I was waiting for you to take that one. All right, cool. Uh, I want to talk about La Liga because I know we're going to spend a good... 10 minutes on the Premier League. So, all right. So this is how we stand right now. Barcelona and Real Madrid are both tied at 38 points. It's basically a two-horse race. Uh, We talked about this kind of a little bit last week. Real Sociedad third, Atletico Madrid fourth. And then you have Bilbao and Betis both at 25 and Villarreal at 24. I know that Villarreal has won two games back-to-back, but I think the top six teams right now are going to be as is. For how the season ends and what order they they end up being in will remain the same. Um, I think Barcelona will likely still lose La Liga. That's how I feel about Ooh, it. Oh, okay. I know we might be split because of the competitions that Real Madrid has to play and some of the injury issues that they've had. But hmm. I just feel like there are times where Barcelona uh, underperforms against bigger teams, and we're going to see a lot about what happens this weekend when they play Atletico Madrid. Uh, I don't anticipate a lot of goals happening there. And the same thing with Real Madrid playing Villarreal. I feel like it's going to be Real Madrid's uh, season. I mean, again, I just that's how I feel. I'm totally biased, though. So <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Barcelona are coming off a a very very tough Copa del Rey matchup where they had to win. Sorry for the train in the background. Where they had to win. Uh, in extra time, but bro, anything can happen. Yeah, like you think Barcelona is gonna focus on Europa League or La Liga? I think they'll focus on La Liga. So maybe they'll play second, uh, a second team potentially in Europa League, or they can be more tired. I think because the team that Real Madrid has now, they are in. Uh, a more comfortable spot than they were last year. Last year, they were more so underdogs. They Nobody expected them to do this, this well. Uh, I think they have the confidence going in. But you can't rule out Barcelona because Lewandowski. Lewandowski, once he comes back, stays healthy. Like, it, he can just, he's a goal-scoring machine. And you've seen it this year. Uh, yes, they there's been some ups and downs with Barcelona. But again... He is a goal-scoring machine, and, like, Pedri Gavi, uh, you could even throw Busquets in there because he still gets the job done, even though he's just, like, trotting along. Uh, 
they have a very, very strong team that's going to be fighting. And I think they've just been hurt with some injuries uh, recently, with Kunde being hurt. Aruhao, I think that's how you spell it, uh, pronounce it, uh, being hurt. If they come back, they're going to be very strong. Right. And also, I mean, from what I remember, they, they definitely did start the season fine uh, in form, right? But how they perform in Europe is really the kind of like the bar for them. Um, this this is going to definitely be a two-horse race. It's going to be difficult for both these teams to drop points. Yeah. I think I think Barcelona definitely has an advantage playing less uh, strenuous games, but at the same time, their first matchup is Manchester United in the Europa League, which is going to be tough for them too. So if you're if they're looking at you know La Liga being really their only real serious competition, then I think that they definitely have an advantage. But we also haven't seen them dip in form. We also haven't seen them go on uh, goal scoring droughts like we did with with Real Madrid, right? So mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see what ends up happening. Their goal difference has been incredible and outstanding this season. If uh, the season comes down to it and goal difference is a tiebreaker, I will be bitter though because uh, it really should be head to head as the the first decider. Because honestly, it used to be, and then I'm pretty sure they changed it very recently where it was no longer head-to-head, and that just kind of drives me mad. Yeah. Um, I actually like head-to-head more. Like, yeah, because that's how other leagues do it. Uh, I'm saying American football. That's how they do it. It's head-to-head, uh, and then they go into conference. Like, I, I love goal differential too, but, like, dude, there could be one game where you just score 10 goals, and boom, you're going to have plus 10 goal differential, and that one game is going to impact everything else. Um, but, again, it... I am interested to see if Atleti keep, <laughs> excuse me, keeps that top four spot right now, um, because once they lose, if they lose Joao Felix, dude, they're not gonna have that attacking power that they they would have. Like, it's gonna be very very difficult for them to score goals, and especially with the game changer that he is. Uh, it's going to be tough, and I can see them falling out and Atleti getting in. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for them, they're not going to really miss Felix because he hasn't played as much uh, minutes compared to the past, and he doesn't really suit their style. So I feel like I feel like for them to, uh, to be able to kind of get back into form, they have to play the way Diego Simeone is used to playing because they've kind of abandoned that style and they're trying to play – Slightly more attacking, but they're still kind of in between their old ways of shithousery. They just just have to stick to shithousery, man. That's who they are. That's the club that they are. They're aggressive. They're strong. They play uh, physical, you know, football, and that's what they're known for. So I just feel like with Atletico Madrid, they're in between two styles. I think if they were to sell or loan out Felix, it would make it a lot easier for them to play uh, the style that they're used to. And, I mean, Griezmann is going to have, I think, an un- outstanding second half of the season, and it's only going to continue. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm excited for that. I, I would look out for them to probably be the big movers. Uh, really? Yeah, in the second half, for sure. Them or Sevilla, because above. Sevilla... Se- you, go think, ahead. you think they'll be above Real Sociedad? Yeah, I would say so. I was going to say them and then Sevilla also, too, in terms of positioning. Because right now they're near the bottom of the table, and uh, they sold both of their center backs, and they need to to make moves and decisions, right? But I think that 
they will end up coming back from it too. Um, you know, and we'll, and we'll see what ends up happening. They're the second biggest team in Andalusia, as crazy as that sounds, despite their success. Other than that, I think it's time to move to your darlings, bro. Oh, yeah. Arsenal are top of the league. Is it sustainable? Yes. Okay. Are they winning the league? Yes. Okay. You heard it here first. Arsenal are winning the league. I don't even I don't even care anymore. We're beating around the bush, you know what I mean? It's a subject that we're we're always saying, oh, you know, maybe, maybe. Everyone that says, oh, maybe we'll win it, we'll see in their head thinks we're we're winning it, but I'm not gonna say anything because I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. So, I just feel like they've there's been no performance this year despite their draws or their losses where I felt like they performed poorly. And to say that 17 games in says a lot about this team. Uh, I don't think it's also because Man City has underperformed. You know, if you look at that, they've only they've only lost twice so far into this season. I think it's really just that Arsenal has performed well because Man City has done well as as too. You know, uh, it's going to be hard to say. I think the question is: Is this sustainable for Newcastle? Right, because you have uh, you have Manchester United, Tottenham, and Liverpool right behind them. Yeah, and Manchester United is level on points with Newcastle. Tottenham's, you know, two behind, and then Liverpool is, yeah, I understand there's seven behind, but it is possible for them to catch up into form. I know they lost recently, but before that, they were on an absolute tear. So it's going to be very interesting to see if Newcastle can hold their position in the top four. What do you think will happen with them? Newcastle, I think they're going to drop out um, because it's it's a long, long, long season where they are not going to have the depth. If somebody does get hurt, uh, it can potentially negatively impact their team because if they have Bruno G, that gets hurt. If they have Joe Joe Ellington, that gets hurt. Uh, It would be really detrimental to them, Um, especially because you have Liverpool, who, yes, they've lost to Brentford, but before then, they were on a four-game winning streak in the league. They were doing very, very well, and it's a Jurgen Klopp side that you just know they have the potential to, in the second half, get five, six wins in a row. While Newcastle, they've just been very, very gritty right now. Um, I I don't think it's sustainable. I do think they finish in the top six, uh, potentially ahead of Tottenham, um, because Tottenham have just been horrendous uh, recently. But I do not think they finish top four. I think how it finishes is Arsenal, no, City, Arsenal, United, Liverpool in that top four. Um, because it's going to come down to Arsenal City still have to play each other twice. And do I think Arsenal has what it takes to beat City? I, I don't know. Because City can pull out all the stops to get uh, a win. And they have so much talent. And at the end of the day... They still have Erling Haaland. They still have Kevin De Bruyne. And defensively, yesterday against Chelsea, City were very sound. Had a clean sheet against Chelsea. In fairness, it's Chelsea. But they had a very, very strong performance. And really, I I think City should get four points out of the six against Arsenal. Uh, They should win at home. And then I can see Arsenal dropping points to Liverpool or dropping points to Tottenham. Like, uh, they can randomly just drop points. Um, 
again, it would be it, if I'm rooting for a team right now outside of United, not rooting. If I wanted a team to win to no, I, I'm just gonna rephrase it. If I didn't care about Manchester United winning the league or not, I would say Arsenal would be a team I wouldn't mind winning the league. Whereas if City won, I'd be like, no, I do not want City to win the league. Yeah, you're a Manchester United fan, so you're conflicted. You know what I mean? It's hard. It's hard to see Arsenal or Manchester City win the league. I think for Arsenal... Actually, no, no, it's not hard to see Arsenal win the league because they haven't done anything in the past 15 years, so I, I really don't care. Also fair. I'll take that. <laughs> you just stab me in the heart right in the middle of the podcast. Yeah. I think this, this to next... To finally see them do well. Right. I mean, these are the next fixtures that they have in the Premier League. They play Tottenham, they play Manchester United, they play Everton, Brentford, and Man City. So I could tell you historically, us playing at Tottenham uh, Hotspur Stadium is not going to be good. We don't really play them well um, away from home. Conversely, we always play Manchester United really, really well at home. As you know, this has historically been a split where Manchester United always wins at Old Trafford, Arsenal always wins at the Emirates. So uh, I, I could see them winning that game. I could see them beating Everton. I could see them beating Brentford again because they, they beat Brentford earlier in the window. But Brentford has claimed a lot of points off of the top six sides this season. Um, the real only difference here is, is that Arsenal's at home as well for, for that fixture, right? They already beat Brentford away. I mm -hmm. think... I think playing Man City at home February 15th is the uh, probably the biggest game of the season in the Premier League, right? Yeah. So so getting through these next five games and maybe if, you, if Arsenal are to have a chance at the Premier League, they have to claim around, uh, I would say, 10 to 15 points minimum. 10 is the absolute minimum they can walk away from from yes. this short list. Absolutely. Yeah. Minimum, but if anything less than that, then then Man City have already caught up. But if they are able to to get at least ten, and then potentially get to you know twelve and thirteen, best case scenario, then uh, I'd say that they're definitely in the driver's seat to to you know win the league essentially. Because at that point, right, the gap of five points will probably stay the same, and there will be twenty two games played. So there's only sixteen games left, and. Mm -hmm. City and Arsenal only have to play one more time after they get through the February 15th fixture. So when it comes to that situation, I think we'll kind of be able to determine who wins it after the next five games. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say that 100% definitively because in April, you guys face Liverpool away, West Ham away. And yes, West Ham right now are not like doing well. Not even thinking about April, West Ham. Huh? Not even thinking about West Ham. West Ham is like a distant memory. That's fine. That's fine. But it's still London Derby away, uh, and then you have Man. Uh, then you have well Southampton. You'll get, but then you have Man City away. So if you drop points there, no bueno there. I agree. Again, I agree with you that ten points in these next five games is an absolute minimum. You right. lose to United, Spurs, uh, City. You lose any two of those games. Uh, it's it's a toss up of who's gonna win the title. 
I think uh, I think a fun discussion can be had though on the opposite side of the table when we're talking relegation, because you have five points separating twentieth to thirteenth. Yeah, um, it's actually crazy. It's so crazy, right? And uh, Southampton are bottom of the table, and uh, they just signed uh, the podcast's you know prodigal son. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. I feel like you know I did bet Everton to go down this season. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's going to happen still. I've been I've been very confident in it. Wolves as well. Uh, ha- just can't score to save their lives, man. I mean, and that's that's the most difficult thing. They've they really haven't been crazy poor uh, on the other side defensively, right? I mean, conceding twenty seven goals. You know, Fulham, Tottenham, they've conceded twenty five and twenty seven as well. It's really just the fact that they've. Only scored 11 goals so far this season. Yeah, dude. Absolutely terrible for them. They need to get some kind of attacking talent or some players in or else they're done. And I think the same thing can be said with Everton, too. And with Southampton, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of also similar, too. It's just tough to make the Premier League when you're unable to score and you have no creative real outlets here. it's very, very tough. Um, I'm excited, <laughs> excuse me, if Southampton uh, do get relegated, where James Ward-Prowse would go, because he's going to be sought after from one of the top clubs for sure, just as an outlet potentially. Uh, he is a fantastic player uh, that really has been like just the heartbeat of that team. He, true or false, he's the greatest free kick taker in the world right now. Yes, true. I agree. I agree. True. Unbelievable what he does. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Okay. Where did Chelsea finish? Uh, Definitely outside of the top six. Uh, I would say I bet them outside of the top four. I think that's going to cash 100%. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind about it. I would say they probably finish anywhere. I would probably say I would probably say eighth. Finish eighth. That's what I was thinking. I think they move up two spots, but I think they're going to be behind Liverpool. Like, they're going to be behind the top six, and I can see them being behind uh, any of those teams ahead of them right now, uh, Fulham, Brighton, or Brentford. They're Um, they're 19 points behind Arsenal right now. (laughs) Like, not even halfway through the season, and they're 19 points behind Arsenal. I think that's that's incredible. For Chelsea, it's hard to say why – they have had such failures this season. Most of it is just because of the fact that they have so much dead wood on their team now. You know, we talked about this in the summer. None of their players that I look at, uh, a lot of them I'm like, all right, well, like, they're not really above the cut players. And their best player has been hurt all season long in Reese James. So that's what makes it really difficult. And I think that signing Enzo Fernandez is going to be uh, incredible for them if they're able to get it over the line. Then they have Nkuku coming in the summer. They just signed, you know, Andre Santos and Buna Barashili. Uh, they signed, you know, David Fofana, who, you know, came from, I believe it's Norway, from Ole's, you know, yeah. team. So he's a young player. I don't know how he's going to develop. It's the same thing with Andre Santos, but it lo- it's very clear what their model is going to be going forward. They want young talent to be able to essentially overhaul some of the players in the uh, midfield and forward positions that they have right now, right? So it'll be interesting to see 
what ends up happening uh, with them. I think their player of the season, ironically, has unironically has been Keppa, to be honest. He's, I agree with that. It's been amazing. I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like Reese James is out and uh, Keppa has come back to form and he's been very impressive to me. Every time I've watched him, he's made some uh, some incredible saves, including yesterday, too. I think Cucurella has been very disappointing for them as well. Um, Havertz, I think, is a sunk cost. And yeah. I don't understand. They're playing him essentially as their striker because there's no real uh, other place to put him. And I think that there's a couple of other players where I'm like, why did why did you sign them? Like, why did they sign you know Carney, Chukwu, Mecca? Why, why sign Omari Hutchinson? Like, just to me, it doesn't make any sense to include these players in the squad at all. You know, um, really interesting to see what happens with them though. But Zakaria and Keppa have been outstanding for them. Agreed. Agreed. Um... Yeah, other than that, it's going to be a very interesting race up until the end of the season, dude. You're going to be biting your nails. Meanwhile, I hope to be just chilling because <laughs> the standards that we set right now, we're like, oh, if we finish top four, fantastic. It's a rebuilding year with Ten Hag. But if we get a trophy on top of that, even better. But if we if we just trickle in there, if we beat Man City, then we beat Arsenal. And, bro, you never know. You just never know, because in the next five games that we have, we have uh, Man City, followed by Arsenal. It's literally like, those are going to be a tough, tough two uh, battles. So, uh, who has been your player of the season so far, in your opinion? Okay. Um, I would... Is it Rashford or Casemiro? Is that the two? Oh, are you saying for United? Yeah, for United. Oh, oh, oh. That is easy. It is Lissandro Martinez. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Lissandro Martinez followed by Rashford because Lissandro had that focal point of the center back spot. Like, we needed him. And he has been so instrumental in uh, the back four. And on top of that, developing the play to the front because his ball playing ability is second to none, like incredible. Uh, second is Rashford because, bro, he's just been in incredible form. And then third is Casemiro because, bro, he's just, he's a freaking Rolls Royce. He is so good. He's the best. I thinking, uh, Premier League player of the season. That's why I was, that was taking a while to guess. Okay. Uh, for me, it would have to be Odegaard. Really? Okay, interesting. So not Holland. Not Holland. Okay. Right now, it's Odegaard. Um, because of how much he does for Arsenal, he is the focal point of their creativity. And he has done so much for them. Like, without Odegaard, I don't know if this team has the creative ability to be at the top right now where in the Premier League he brought he right right now as an attacking mid seven goals and five assists right which is unbelievable yes Holland is scoring goals left and right um but Odegaard is the most valuable player yeah I think that's a fair take I would just go with Holland just because of the goals yeah, uh okay. just a machine you know what I mean uh but I think I think I have to agree with you I mean Arsenal's player of the season has has clearly been 
I mean, there's been a lot of ogre performers or players that have come to their own, but Odegaard, Saka have to be, you know, one and two, in my opinion. They've both been amazing. Uh, it's crazy that Saka's only, you know, 21 years old, and he's already, in my opinion, one of the five best right-wingers in the entire world. Uh, he's just so well-balanced and so technically sound. It's it's really nice to watch him play. But, I mean, Holland is just a goal-scoring machine. I would be so shocked if Manchester City didn't win the title uh, this season because of Holland's output, and it would be crazy because of you know Holland being in the in the Bundesliga and the Premier League for a decent amount of time, like three four seasons now, and not having really won a title like that. So really interesting. Before we go, uh, I wanted to read to you uh, this you know team of the decade from 2010 to 2019 that was released by uh, Sport TV essentially. So this is the team, Lucas. You tell me if you agree or disagree with uh, with any of the the team here. It's a four three three. Okay. okay. Front three is Neymar, Ronaldo, Messi. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm okay with it. In my opinion, yeah. I'd be I'd be fine with uh, Lewandowski or Suarez in for Neymar, but it doesn't matter to me. Nah, Neymar has got to be in that in that top three. Okay. Midfield, I think you'd agree too. Iniesta, Xavi, Modric. Yep. Hundred percent. Okay, so this is their back line. Uh, this is where there's probably going to be a lot of question marks. Right. Uh, Marcelo, Ramos, Van Dyke, and Lum. Cool. Huh. I, I would I would say Danny Alves or Lum. I'm okay with Lum. I like Lum. No, I like Lum because... Lom too. I like Ramos and Marcelo. Van Dyke is really the only question mark for yeah, me. Yeah, dude. That's the other one that I'm thinking of, too. Like... Uh... I'll put Varane. Okay. I think that's a great pick, honestly. Because think about the World Cup. Think about the Champions League wins that he's had. Bro, it's it's Varane. <laughs> yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, Varane has been world-class. That I mean, it's crazy, though, if you think about it. Because the goalkeeper listed is Casillas, and I actually do disagree with that. I think Nor should be the goalkeeper there. 100% player. So, so yeah, so, I mean, I really agree with you. Marcelo, Ramos, Varane, Lam, and then Neuer as the, yeah. the goalkeeper would be good. Uh, yeah. And I know we never talked about this on the pod, but my hot take was that Modric is better than both Iniesta and Xavi. And, uh, yeah, I think this is one of the weird, or, or not weird, but, like, hard disagrees that both you and I have uh, with one another in the time that we've done this pod. Yeah, no, it's it's... No, Xavi and Iniesta are just—they're better, no. um, in my opinion. I know, I know. We'll talk about it in the summer, maybe after you yeah. know my boy Modric uh, either signs and continues playing as a 38-year-old for the biggest club in the world, and then Iniesta, you know, is hanging out still in Japan, and Xavi is not winning trophies for Barcelona. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we concluded the pod? Dude, no. Nah. What, what a pod. And I'm looking forward to the second half of this season, man. So much soccer to come along. Like, uh, I'm, I'm excited. Me too, man. Well, you know, we hope everybody listening enjoyed the show. We'll catch you guys next week on maybe some transfers, maybe some league news. You never know. Enjoy them, Techers, everybody. <laughs>